Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for October 23, 2023. I'm Phil Adler. Widely accepted rules that have for many years defined the behavior of long-term bonds might be changing. Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today to suggest why savvy investors might want to revisit some of these time-worn formulas. Bill, we appear to be stuck in a stubborn bear market for bonds as uh, interest rates and inflation rise. Could we begin with a review of where the bond market is now and how it arrived at this place? Well, Phil, long-duration bond yields have tended to move in long ways for the past century. Yields fell slowly to a trough in 1943, rose to a new peak in the early 80s, and then steadily fell into 2020. But since then, we've seen a sharp rise in yields from that low. There's a robust debate as to what's causing this lift. Some of it is being driven by inflation and worries it will become persistent. Another factor is concerns about fiscal dominance if the federal debt becomes large enough, central bank independence can erode. Of course, there's a cyclical element to rising bond yields. The Federal Reserve has been increasing the policy rate, which tend to cause all interest rates to rise. But the underlying issue is that there is growing evidence that the four-decade bull market in bonds where yields steadily fell has ended. Investors have always looked at certain market elements for clues about the direction of bond yields, and you've isolated some of these and found some surprising results. First of all, oil prices. How have rising oil prices historically impacted bond yields, and what has changed recently? Well, Phil, when I was a young analyst, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, the second variable you added to a bond model after Fed funds was oil prices. There was a strong positive relationship between oil prices and yields. But over time, as our research shows, the sign actually reversed. Since 1983, higher oil prices have actually led to lower yields. We think this comes down to policy confidence. In the 1970s, the Fed essentially accommodated higher oil prices by not raising rates sufficiently. But after Volcker, bond buyers became confident that policymakers would react strongly to rising oil prices to the point that when oil prices rose, they bought bonds in anticipation of tighter policy. We will be watching this relationship closely to see if bond buyers worry that the Fed won't contain higher oil prices and we will return to the relationship we saw from 1960 to 1982. The federal deficit is another factor affecting bond yields, and I'll I'll ask the same question. How has a rising federal deficit historically impacted bond yields, and what has changed recently? Well, Phil, this is another interesting anomaly. After World War II, there was a belief that fiscal and monetary policy should work in concert. Thus, if the government increased the deficit due to fiscal spending, the monetary authority should accommodate that spending by preventing interest rates from rising. This stands signaled to bondholders that they were going to bear the burden of adjustment, which led them to demand higher yields as deficits rose. With Volcker, that changed. Central bank independence was promoted, which means that the Federal Reserve would actually work at cross-purposes with the Treasury. Simply put, if deficits rose, the Fed would tighten credit to counteract the stimulus. There's a school of thought that suggests that the real contribution of Volcker was not bringing down inflation, but forcing Congress and the White House to address deficits. Both Volcker and Greenspan purportedly did this, and in the end, the tax hikes and spending cuts that began with Bush and ended with Clinton led to surpluses in the late 1990s. 
The fear now is that with government debt exceeding 100% of GDP and projected to steadily rise for the rest of this decade, the government will be eventually forced to curtail Fed independence and reverse the sign in the model on the fiscal deficit. How about other factors, Bill, you've looked at, like the extent to which government is unified? Well, this is another artifact of the difference in the post-World War II era and the 1980s. After World War II, there was broad consensus that the federal government could be a positive force for the economy and society. A unified government, where the White House and Congress are held by the same party, was seen as giving the government a mandate. A mandate gave bondholders confidence, leading to lower rates. That all changed after the 1970s. As Ronald Reagan noted, when the government showed up at your door and said, I'm here from the government and I'm available to help, in the earlier period it sparked confidence. By the end of the 1970s, it sparked fear. In the later period, from 1983 to the present, a unified government led to higher yields. It became common knowledge that divided government was positive for markets. That again may change in the future. If austerity becomes necessary, a strong mandate will be required, but we haven't seen that data, haven't seen that in the data yet. So Bill, trying to sum all this up, the safer view going forward, in your opinion, is that if oil prices remain high, the federal deficit continues to grow, and the U.S. Congress remains sharply divided, then long-term yields will remain high and may go even higher, and the bear market in bonds will continue? I think so. The key is probably the deficit, but let's not forget that the waning of U.S. hegemony, which is fracturing the global economy, coupled with the desire to raise national security to a higher priority over efficiency, plays a major role too. The end of the 1990 to 2020 globalization is an inflationary factor. Bill, what are the chances that recent market action might be a head fake and we will soon revert to widely accepted norms held by investors regarding the rules driving bond yields? We have seen and expect to continue to see expectations of a return to what has been in place. There's always a high level of disbelief at inflection points. If you watch the financial media, there is a steady drumbeat of extend duration. Now, to be sure, there may be a trade there, but we doubt the old trend returns. The Federal Reserve Bill has been allowing treasuries on its balance sheet to mature without replacing them. How has this impacted long-term treasury yields? You have removed a price-insensitive buyer from the market, and this has led to rising yields. Now, if the Fed loses independence at some point, it may be required by Congress to expand its balance sheet again to contain long-term yields. How has your view on bonds been reflected in Confluence Investment Management asset allocation recommendations? We have made a point to keep duration shortened. I strongly suspect that we will treat long-duration fixed income positions opportunistically, meaning that permanent long-duration positions will be less likely. Last question. What if I am an income investor rather than a growth investor? Aren't higher yields something I should seek and enjoy? With great care. After World War II, the U.S. brought its debt-to-GDP ratio down by mostly forcing bondholders to accept weak returns, especially compared to inflation. Now, that doesn't mean an income investor should just hold cash. Some extension on the yield curve can lock in current rates, and that might make sense in the coming months. But over the long run, there is a risk that society will force austerity on bondholders, meaning that the value of their bonds will erode relative to inflation. That will require income investors 
choose to consider other income streams, such as dividend-paying equities, master-limited partnerships, business development companies, and other similar assets. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Be aware that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.